All right. Welcome back, everybody. Before we get to our latest episode of Three Way Miss, we want to remind you that the show is proudly brought to you by our sponsors, one of which is Golf and Ski Warehouse. And with Northern New England's largest selection of golf equipment, apparel, and accessories, Golf and Ski offers you all the best names at competitive, low prices. Golf and Ski specializes in providing you with free, expert custom club fitting and their TrackMan 4 and GC Hawk Golf Simulators at Golf and Ski. You always get the expert personal service you need to find the best equipment for your game. So swing by Golf and Ski. They've got stores in West Lebanon, Greenland, and Hudson, New Hampshire, and in Scarborough, Maine. And TK is here with me. TK, talk to us. What do you have, what do you have for us this week? I'll tell you what, Maddie. You know I've been on this RTD kick, so I figured, hey, the month of May kicking off the golf season. We're on this RTD kick and you know, I'm kind of married to canteen. I love that, but I feel like I'm having this side relationship with, uh, these new grapefruit smashes and it's, it's problematic. I don't know if canteen's that happy, but they're these grapefruit, they got lemonade, grapefruit and orange smashes. They're from devil's backbone distilling company, which is down in the blue Ridge mountains in Virginia. And, um, they're a little bit of a step up from the 5% ABV. They're actually 7.5% ABV. It's a little watch out, stay in your lane. And then if you're outside of New Hampshire, actually, there's a 10% version. So wow. for all of, our, all of our listeners out there on the East Coast, it's a uh, it's next level. It's say, hey, you want to hit your ball straight off the first tee, have a grapefruit smash, <laughs> and get out there and get going. But uh, Maddie, in uh, the way it goes for us, I might as well uh, crack one right now. You know, if we're going to keep doing these live reads and these live spots, I think I'm going to need to be able to crack one too. I totally agree. We got to get on that. You know what? This that is, makes the most sense. This is actually a good sponsorship piece is to get you some products so we can have a little dual drink off on Zoom. And I, I like the sound of that. Um, well, go out and grab some. Again, what are they called again, TK? So they're grapefruit. They're, sm- they're smash brands. So you get grapefruit smash. You got lemonade smash. You got orange smash. And New Hampshire, obviously, we're 7.5% ABV. They're from Devil's Backbone Distilling Company. And they are phenomenal. So go check them out. Awesome. Enjoy them. During the PGA this week, thanks to New Hampshire Distributors and Bell Advance Beverage for supporting the show. Thanks to Golf and Ski Warehouse. And enjoy the latest episode of Three Way Miss. Welcome back, everybody, to a brand new episode of the Three Way Miss podcast. Matt here, Scott, and TK will join me shortly. We've got a really fun one for everybody. We will get you ready for the PGA Championship. We will make our picks, talk about the contenders and who we think is going to be at the top of the leaderboard down at Kiowa Island. And then we've got a fantastic visit with 2002 PGA champion Rich Beam. Rich is going to relive his victory over Tiger out at Hazeltine from back in 2002. And we'll get into a number of different topics with Rich and we'll make him take our quick nine golf personality test. So enjoy this episode of the three-way miss podcast. All right. So here we are another major championship preview for the three-way miss podcast. Another major championship week. Kind of hard to believe when you think about where we were a year ago, even with golf courses back open, but We've got our back-to-back majors with Augusta in April and the PGA Championship at Kiowa this weekend. First time since 2012, we'll be back at Kiowa where Rory won by eight. Um, so it's uh, it's going to be an exciting event, that's for sure. Great golf course, great setting for it. Scott, why don't you start us off? Give us some thoughts on, on what you're expecting in the PGA. 
Well, uh, first thought is I'm certainly happy for you, Matt, going into it with Rory being now the prohibitive favorite. Is you this must- going to be the overarching theme of I this episode? Absolutely. How can it not be? How can it not be? You've earned it. So anyway, so so I can tell TK is equally as excited about it um, as I am relative to you and Rory. So you're a little man crush. Anyway, you know what I love about uh, tournaments like this that have great venues is I, th- I just think it's as much enjoyable to watch the golf tournament at Kiwa as it will be just the golf tournament, if that makes sense. I just think the Ryder Cup, you know, was there, made it a star. The 2012 um, made that course a bit of a star. It's it's unique, and I just think it's going to be a wonderful event based on the fact that, that not only it's a great field, but the golf course uh, will play as big a role as anything. TK, what are, what are your thoughts here a couple of days out? You know, obviously it's a, uh, it's a long course. I think wind will play a significant factor. We've got some standard kind of lead dog favorites that are not playing that well right now. And then I think the other, the other factor with the wind is, you know, Bryson, who you're going to put in the mix anytime, uh, anytime attorney comes up, especially a major, I don't think he's going to be a factor. I really don't. I don't think Bryson is a factor in the PGA this weekend. Well, we'll look at we can we can heckle Matt for his for his Rory love. We can certainly heckle TK for his Bryson hate. So, <laughs> I mean, those are two consistent. He's not alone. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, one storyline I thought was interesting. We focus a lot on Rory and the career Grand Slam, but here we have Jordan Spieth, who sort of the reinvigorated Jordan Spieth will be going for the career Grand Slam. Scott, I know you're a big Jordan guy. Another fairly good week uh, down in in Texas last weekend, but what are your thoughts on his chances this week? Well, we don't want to get to our picks yet, but but oh, let's nice just, sort of, just sort of suggest that he might be in, in my mind here. But hard not to think that he's going to play a pivotal role. You know, you um, for the for the listeners, you know, with Rich Beam following us, well, one of the uh, points he was fairly emphatic about was the importance of short game at Kiwa. And it's certainly hard not to argue that there aren't many better wedge players in the world uh, than, than Jordan. He's obviously playing better. He's like, he's driving it better. So it's hard not to think, you know, you mentioned that some of the better players of the favorites aren't playing well. I think Jordan's is one of those who is playing well. And so uh, my instinct that, that uh, he's going to be around for all four days and going to play a role. I'd have to agree with that. You know, he's trending. He is such a field player. Um, he's really kind of found his groove right now after being on kind of the sidelines for a bit. And uh, when he gets it going, there's no one better to watch. And he brings such a tremendous energy. I mean, we've talked about it, whether or not it's, uh, you know, Tiger, Jordan, Rory. Those three guys bring a different level of energy to the PGA Tour. And when you get to a major, obviously that's uh, amplified. So, you know, I think Jordan's one to watch for sure. So we talked a little bit about the golf course. TK, you mentioned the length all the way back. They can stretch it out to 78, 76, which is 135 yards longer than Aaron Hills was in 2017. That was the previous longest major championship golf course. I doubt we'll see it that, that long, any of the four days or they're, they're going to do some mixing up with tees. Um, Interesting note that I learned when Pete Dye designed it, he found out there was no prevailing wind at the golf course. So the way he designed it was so, for instance, the green complexes are very big. The reason he did that was so that 
a hole would be, a green would be receptive to a long iron shot, just as it would be receptive to a short iron shot. So typical die design, a lot of visual intimidation out there, but, but really he put a lot of thought into it when he designed it. And it's, it's, I, I think you're right, Scott, that the golf course is going to be the star of the show. You know, absolutely. And, you know, when we were talking to Rich, he obviously gave us some great insight on that. And he said, you know, they're not going to touch it out at 78, 76. But I wanted to tell you guys a little side note, right? DraftKings has Rich Beam at plus 6,600 to finish in the top 20 this week. Wow. <laughs> I, said, I was reading that. I laughed. I said, we should text that to Rich. Maybe he's got a shot. <laughs> I wonder if Alan Shipnick will make a bet on it. Oh, boy. <laughs> By the way, another interesting um, nugget from the last time it was there in, in 2012. Does anyone know, and that was a big group that was tied for sixth, who shot four under in the first round in 2012. Carl Peterson was winning. Rory shot five under in the first round. A past PGA champion was tied for sixth just nine years ago after, the, after round one. Got me. Good question. Stumped. John Daly. Okay. No kidding. Yeah. I was, I was very shocked at that when I was going through and looking at some of the scores back from, uh, from 2012. I, so John Daly also plus 6,600 to finish top 20. So that's another funny one. I think they just throw all the previous champs in there. Good yeah. company for rich, I guess. <laughs> I, I, I don't see them making the course at, you know, I think it'll be long, but you know, one of the things that, that again, rich touched on was, you know, Carrie Haig is as good as anybody at setting up a golf course. And, you know, while you can go to 7,800, I think that he's always had a drivable par four. He'll fit in there. I'm sure he's going to have some risk reward. And, and you know, the elements are going to play a role. And so I think you got to be careful with moving it back too far. And the PJ's never really been about, you know, protecting par. They've always been about really making it a good championship test and if it's eight under it's eight under if it's 20 under it's 20 under and so again i just think uh i think it's going to be a really really good test and and very very interested to see well yeah, i think we'll see. go, go ahead, ahead tk i was going to say the winds uh thursday friday the winds will be in the teens and then they actually kind of uh tick up a little bit on the weekend they, they go over 20 on saturday sunday so that'll be a nice little uh nice little twist and turn Um, Back in 2012, another little nugget, five of the six hardest holes were on the back nine. So it'll be a challenge coming in there. There is a a par five, I think, in the closing stretch, which was the the easiest hole back in 2012. But it's definitely a a challenging finish for him. And I think, Scott, the PGA usually seems like, you know, we're going to let the golf course do its thing. We'll set it up a little more difficult some days than others. And somebody goes out there and overpowers the golf course, they overpower the golf course. It's, It's not their job to make sure that to your point, they're trying to protect par or protect the number. Somebody goes, goes out there and dominates. Heck it's, it's all the more entertaining for us watching. I think it's actually a refreshing way to set it up. Right. I mean, I think that one of the things that the master stands out is they want the roars on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Well, you get the roars by setting up to allow the better players or the players who are playing well to, to make some scores. Right. And so I think the PJs learned a little bit about that. And I think they're going to have a, a fair, hard, but honest test that I, I believe there'll be some good scores out there. Yeah, yeah the way it should be. Yep, yeah, it'll be, it'll be entertaining. By the way, I, I also read today, do you, now Scott, you may have a better recollection than, than I do of this, but do you remember what happened to Mark Kalkovecchia in the last 
four holes in the 91 Ryder Cup? He was four up with four to go against Colin Montgomery, the Scots. And, uh, you know, and, and he, it really didn't get to be incredibly ugly until 17. Mm-hmm. He made a couple of bogeys on 15 and 16, but then he gets to 17. He's still two up with two to go. Colin Montgomery has the honor, puts in the water. So you're thinking, all right, I'm dormy anywhere on dry land and I'll win the match. So what does he do? He cold shanks one into the water. So Montgomery gets up, bails it out. Kalkovecki gets up, gets it on there somewhere. Long story short, Kalkovecki had a, I'll say, two-footer for double bogey on the 17th hole to win the match. Needless to say, he missed that. Bogey's 18, and then a, literally almost having a nervous breakdown. If you read read some stuff, he almost had a nervous breakdown, went literally running to the beach to try and collect himself. And really, you know, you think about um, Bernard Langer sort of bearing the burden of having to make or break the win or the tie of the Ryder Cup then. Well, the reality is that Bernard Langer's miss probably saved Kalkovecchia. Who knows what, but but it, it bailed him out big time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was... That was that was when the seventeenth hole. I think they've softened it since, but literally when you stand on that tee, you wonder where the heck you're supposed to put it because it's not a big green. That wind's always howling. You got water everywhere, and then you got dunes to the left, which you don't want to be in. And so, it, that hole pro, uh, proved to be incredibly difficult. Then I think they've softened it now, but I imagine Kalkovecchia still has some some tough nights. Yeah, about I mean it's hard to read about. Yeah, it really is. If you go up, uh, I'll give a little um, nod to our friends over at No Laying Up. But if you go back to episode 425, uh, Solly does like a two-hour deep dive into the 1991 Ryder Cup. And Calc joins him and gives kind of the insider thought process that he was going through down those last four holes. So, Scotty, you just described it perfectly in a quick summary. But Calc just describes that 17th hole when he says, all I had to do, I could have hit it anywhere on the planet except for where I followed Monty right into the water. Right. It's an incredible detail. So if anybody uh, loves that type of Ryder Cup history. He was in a bad place then. I mean, it was, I think that affected him greatly. And again, I think the fact that the U.S. ended up tying and, and keeping the cup was was huge for Cal. It's, that would it's not the story part. that it actually could have been. It's a it's oh. an unbelievable story, but it could have been worse. Agreed. Oh. Absolutely. They said Lanny Watkins was a, uh, a great friend to Calc in the aftermath, you know, after the fact, Calc, as you said, was in a dark place. And he said, hey, we wouldn't have been there on Sunday if you hadn't played well leading up to that point. So, you know, you got us there. You know, I hate to throw the word choke out because we all play the game and we love the game. And we've all had moments where we are feeling it and can't believe that we did something. But boy, when you look up the word choke, eh, it's hard not to think that Calc's right there in the top, you know, reference. Yeah. Um, and that it was, it was, I remember watching, it was tough to watch. It was tough. All right. Well, we don't want to delay our awesome visit with Rich Beam any longer. We think everybody's really going to enjoy it. He's exactly what you have come to know and love about Rich Beam. And it was a great hour that we spent with him. So we'll get everybody to that. But we do have to get our picks in just to go through a couple of real quick betting lines. Rory is the favorite at plus 1,000 or plus 1,100. I also saw you got Bryson, JT, and Spieth at plus 1,400. DJ at plus 1,600. Um, TK, why don't we let you go first for this one? Who, who do you have this week? 
I'm going to take John Rom after uh, after some debate. Oh, I get a little shake of the head here from Scotty, but he's he's ready to break Only out because I think that's a good pick, and I was thinking yeah. of taking him. But go ahead. I know I was leaning, you know, I was, I was leaning on the speed, but I just think Rom's ready. Obviously, he's you know he's third in strokes gained off the tee. That's going to be a critical component this week to put yourself in play. Um, as you said, he's right behind Rory in terms of uh, odds, but I I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Rom for my uh, for my number one pick. You, you, you gonna pick another guy? Oh, we're going we're going straight. I thought we maybe do a little snake. No, let's here. do yeah, let's do it. No, we're we putting you pick. on the spot. We need to know who you're picking, and then we can plan accordingly. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I'm gonna go with something a little different for my second. We pick knew up. that was coming. Yeah, you did. <laughs> we knew we're going um, down the line a little bit. Yeah, we're going down the line. You you wouldn't have picked him anyways because we so we could have done a snake draft. But I'm gonna go Daniel Berger for my second pick. Uh, coming off uh, a couple nice starts in a row. He played very well down at the AT&T, four rounds in the 60s. He actually kind of came in, finished third, but he, he wasn't that close going in after. But um, I like Daniel Berger. He's tw- plus 2,800, and uh, that's my second pick. I like the Ron Berger combo. <laughs> nice. Coming off the Preakness was what, Ron Bauer or something? <laughs> that's right. right. All right, Scotty, who you got? You tipped your hand a little bit. Yeah, I might as well start off with the one. I mean, it's the, uh, I'm a big fan of Jordan Spieth, but this is as much a head as it is a heart pick. And um, and I'm, I think it would be an incredible story to have the sixth person ever in the history of golf win the career Grand Slam. And so uh, I think his game's a good place. I think his confidence is a good place. I think his wedge is a good place. So Jordan Spieth would be my first one. And I'll go a little down the line too, because I was thinking of John Rom, but my boy Tyler just stole him. You know, it's hard not to argue who's playing the best of anybody in the last month or so. And so I'm going to take Sam Burns. I think he's playing as good as anybody's playing right now. And, and uh, you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. He's playing with house's money and I, I could see him playing well again this week. Like Hold it. on, Maddie. I'm, t- I'm throwing a little side story in. So Scotty's going to love this. A couple weeks ago, my friend, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll remains nameless, but he's, uh, they're at a bachelor party in the Bahamas, uh, local, local seacoast guy. He, he loves, uh, you know, loves golf. And obviously you go to the Bahamas, they have a little ability to put some money on some folks. So he goes down, they land on, they land on Wednesday night. He puts $380 on Sam Burns to win. This is his own bachelor party. He Come is, on. he is the bachelor. They're there through Sunday night, Sunday night collects. 25 grand. Come on. By the way, that's a funny amount to put on too. I, that was my, I mean, that was, sort that of, was my exact first response. I mean, said 380. Would you lose 20 in the cab on the way over? <laughs> <laughs> How about making that your weekend? Wow. Man? That wow. is amazing. Outstanding. Before that's he'd awesome. ever have a win. Right. I mean, that was just. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Pretty good. All right, Maddie, what do you got? Um, look at that grin. So, look at that grin. I got okay, Rory. You, you want to know? You want to know the truth? I expect. I, I'm not picking Rory. I actually expect a fairly lackluster performance from him this week. Really? Based on what? Based on, I still don't think he's he's right mentally. I mean, I know that he won, but I would have felt more comfortable if he had sort of run away with the thing a little bit more than he did at Quail Hollow. And I still think there are some demons up there that he's fighting. He's he's made the swing change. He's trying to hit that little cut and not hit a draw anymore. You know, we, when we talked to Rich, he talked about somebody that 
can really flight the ball has a advantage at this golf course. Rory likes to hit it really high. And if that wind starts going, I'm not sure that's necessarily the best thing, even though he won in 2012, I get it. I just don't think he's, I don't think he's all the way back yet. I think winning was great. It shows how much talent he actually has, but I just don't see him. I I just, I think it's going to be an average week for him. He'll, he'll make the cut maybe make a little bit of a charge on Saturday, but, but sort of fade over the last day, day and a half. So I'm not picking Rory this week. And also if anyone's actually curious, all that was, was an emotional hedge is that that's all I'm doing is emotionally hedging. Obviously I'll be rooting for him and I want him. Thank you for clarifying, but I saw through that the whole way you still are madly want him to win. Of course. course And you still think he can win. You're just sort of backing off a little bit to not let yourself down. Well, wait till you hear one of my picks to add to this emotional hedge. But my first pick, I'm going to take Mark (laughs) Leishman, a very good ball striker, somebody who has experience playing in the winds down in Australia, he's in really good form. I like, I like leash to compete this week and I'm going to take Patrick Reed. Oh gosh. I, it's, I told you it was the ultimate emotional head. Trust me. I don't like doing it, but he's a grinder. He's got the short game for it. You know, hasn't necessarily had a great year, but he'll, I think he's going to be around. And, and so I'm going to take leash and, uh, and Patrick Reed this week. I mean, should we be at a loss for words right now? First of all, you just got tossed out of the Rory fanboy club and now you're joining the Patrick Reed fanboy club. I don't know. The question is, there's a playoff and Bryson and Patrick Reed are going head to head. Who are you taking? I don't know. I won't be watching. (laughs) (laughs) It's yard work time on Sunday afternoon. If that's. Yeah. I'll take Calc. All right. Last piece of business before we get to Rich, we've got a trivia question for everybody this this month. Um, our pre-PGA Championship trivia question. Winner gets a $50 gift card to Golf and Ski Warehouse. So thanks to Scott and Ned at Golf and Ski for, for providing that. And our trivia question is Arnold Palmer and Jordan Spieth are among three players missing the PGA for their career Grand Slam. Who is the other player? So that is your trivia question. You can send your answers to threewaymiss at gmail.com. Scott's raising his hand. TK's nodding. Um, or you can send us a direct message on Twitter at threewaymiss. But we will have a winner and they will get a $50 golf and ski gift card for the correct answer. So good luck to everybody. Um, any other thoughts, boys, before we get to Rich? Enjoy the week, really. I mean, love the majors, love the golf course. It's going to be a fun week to watch. And I'll give you my long shot tick. All right, Maddie, you love those. Yes. It's, it's Corey Connors, Corey Connors. You can bet him. obviously the win is a stretch plus 5,000, but uh, you know, top 20, I think he's plus 200 and he's a ball striking machine. So he could be, like he it. could be made for Kiwa. Go make money this week, folks. You, there, there you have it. You got TK's uh, sleeper of the week. All right. Thanks everybody. Uh, enjoy the rich beam interview and we'll see everybody in a, another couple of weeks. You know, boys, we've been uh, incredibly fortunate for our first few podcasts to have some great guests. And and with the PGA Championship one week away from our, our recording here, um, this week's no exception. So we've got a three-time winner from the PGA Tour, 2002 PGA Championship winner. Got to love those majors, right? And then, and then uh, who's now working for Sky Sports, I believe, as a golf analyst. Yes. That's it. Freeway Miss, Rich. Welcome. What's happening, Scott? Good to see you, Parks. 
It's been a while. Yeah, thanks. Actually, like the last time we saw each other was in the tap room, which is a good place to be seen. Uh, listen, I, anytime I can see you at Pebble Beach in the fall, uh, the <laughs> week before Thanksgiving, it's a good, good deal. Are you going to make it back this year? I think so. I think Sweet. so. Sweet. You two in a tap room? I don't buy it. I don't buy it. <laughs> so it's just really weird how it all works. You know, once you get done playing golf, how the golf clubs just disappear. And all of a sudden, you're just wandering around. Ooh, look, beer. Ooh, look, friends. Ooh, look, let's sit down. <laughs> so good. So while I certainly want to talk about, we want to talk about next week's tournament, it's hard not to at least get started with with uh, your victory 19, imagine that, 19 years ago. And, you know, from the outside perspective, Rich, winning a major seems like the gift that keeps on giving. Um, <laughs> but but I'm curious, you know, could you have ever imagined the impact that victory would have had on your life? No, no. I, I think it's one of those things where you're right. I mean, it's, it is the gift that keeps on giving. And it's certainly why I have my job that I absolutely love right now with Sky Sports Golf. I mean, uh, it provided so many opportunities for me to do to do things around the world and meet new people, go places, see things, all that. But certainly, you know, the job that I have right now with Sky Sports Golf, I think is probably the biggest thing that's come out of it. And, and I know it might sound strange to a lot of folks, but I work with such a great group of people each and every week that I'm out there doing it. You know, it's fantastic. It really is. So never thought the impact that, that, you know, the opportunities, you know, I mean, that's how you and I met Scott. I mean, right. you and I met through Callaway golf who, who um, I was sponsored by after I won the PGA and we met up there and kept in touch each and every year. We'd see each other, you know, usually, you know, it seemed like for whatever reason, we were always on the same flight coming in right. and then, right. And then, uh, you know, looking worse for the wear on the flight out, but uh, that's how it's supposed to be. But, you know, it, it's just, it's one of those things where the PGA Championship way back in the day, it, uh, you know, it was a blur once it happened, but now, you know, I, I get a chance to kind of look back and, and all the people that I've met, the friendships that I've made, each and every one of them, it seems like has come because of the PGA. So cool. So cool. You know, and I was looking at the, um, the uh, the leaderboard from that event and and you know a little known fact you beat Tiger Woods by a shot yeah he uh, you know it he still is number two that week you know? <laughs> I mean, he, after all of these weeks you know and and every once in a while it's funny it's funny we were uh, at twenty sixteen when they had the Ryder Cup up there. You know, he was coming Hazeltine, you mean? at Hazelton. Yeah. And he, he was coming off of injury, you know, still injured and whatnot. And he was vice captain and he's walking down the 12th fairway and I'm up at the green and I'm just kind of, you know, wandering around, you know, watching players, and just kind of getting this. And funny enough, that was my first ever Ryder cup uh, back in 2016. I'd never played in one, never been to one. And all of a sudden, you know, my first one, I get to go working for the enemy, so to speak at sky sports, you know, I'm the only, I'm the American, <laughs> on a British broadcast. And so, you know, walking down the 12th fairway, here comes Tiger. So I thought, you know, I'll go by and say hi. And the first words out of his mouth was, how in the did you reach number 11 and two? <laughs> I mean, it's like, he won't forget it. Right. And so that even, that's even better for me is that, you know, I know I'm not going to forget it, but 
but I'm really glad that he didn't forget it either. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Hey, Rich, talk us through that final round because you were you were went into Sunday trailing Leonard yeah. by three, right? And then you yeah. had an incredible Sunday. Yeah, I did. You know, I was playing great at that moment in time. Uh, you know, my caddy and I, who's with me this week, he's out. Uh, I don't know what he's doing. He's he moves quicker than I do, which is really I don't think possible, but he does. Um, he, uh, he and I were just in a great frame of mind, just going into each and every round and, and it was fun. It was easy. You know, there was no pressure on us. We just won the international a couple of weeks prior. And there wasn't any pressure to go out there and, and, you know, certainly to win the, win a major. I mean, you know, you could have asked any single folk in the media, in the press room, uh, fan, there's probably about three or four people out of all the, you know, 40,000 that really thought we could win. And two of us were inside the ropes and <laughs> my wife and friends were outside the ropes. And that was kind of about it. Right. So we were just out there having some fun and and we, you know, I was hitting the ball really good, but I was putting great. My putting was just unbelievable that week. Uh, and it had been for a while. I've been putting really well that year. So we just kind of went out there and kind of did what we did, but you know, it was, to make, make, I think we birdied, uh, hard one and two and then birdied three and four. And by that time we'd caught Justin. And I think that was just, you know, to, to come out there and make birdies that early and catch him was, uh, was certainly pretty key. And then, um, and then he fell away, unfortunately with a, I think a double bogey or something like that at 13 when I made birdie and they're close, but, um, yeah, make birdies earlier. That was that was huge to kind of settle the nerves. If making birdies can ever settle nerves, it did in that case for some bizarre reason. The whole time you was referring to you, you eagled right on the back nine that day. Yeah, no, yeah, number eleven, and, and I didn't even realize it until after the fact uh, that I was the only one. That, I think only one to make eagle on number eleven all week long, which would have been awesome if we would have had a skins game, like a four day <laughs> skins game at a clean house. Like in many ways other than I already did, but, uh, but yeah, I couldn't believe that. I didn't, I, and, you know, to hit it up there close like that. Um, it was, uh, it was pretty surreal. I mean, I had some two good breaks, you know, the wind kind of shifted off the tee shot and was downwind a little bit. I, I caught one right out of the middle and hit it down slope and chased away. And then, uh, kind of the same thing for the second shot wind just shifted. It's supposed to kind of be right to left and hurting. And it just kind of just shifted a little bit more right to left. So we just kind of hit a big old sling and draw in there and, uh, and got it on board and, and made the putt. But yeah, I, I had, uh, there's some, some things going my way. Well, I read a quote that, um, that you said it was the best shot you've ever hit in your life. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's yeah. pretty cool to, to have a memory like that. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because I, you know, Scott, I don't, I don't really enjoy hitting fairway woods that often. I mean, that's not my, it's not my forte, right. I, I, I'm more of a, I tend to sweep the golf ball off the turf instead of kind of getting down and compressing it and making the golf ball go up. So I don't, I don't really tend to hit fairway woods that high. So to hit that shot when I did was, I mean, it, it still is the best shot I've ever hit that without, Without question. I, think I also was, remember the worst shot I've ever hit too, though. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us, I think, are still waiting for that best shot we've ever had. Well, listen, you got nothing but time. And, you know, I mean, your young age, you got all sorts of time. Scott, and, and you know, I don't know about the other guys. So they're going to you know, step up the games. So, Sadly, uh, I think I probably already hit my best shot and I didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rich, I wanted to go back to Tiger. Um you know, how is he different now than he was back in, in 2002? I mean, that was 
arguably the peak of his powers. Although you could argue, you know, over such an extended period of time, he's been so dominant, but was it, was he, was he different in a way back then because he was so motivated to win every time he went out and he, he was coming close to winning every time he went out there. Everybody assumed that Sunday he was going to win, right? That's just the way it was back then. Um, and how his perspective, obviously the, the, the latest accident kind of notwithstanding, but how have you noticed him change over the years? And again, back in 2002, was he more unapproachable because he was so singularly focused on being the best? Um, I'll answer that question first. I think he was unapproachable because we were all, I'm sorry for the French, but we were all scared shitless of him. Yeah. I mean, the guy was that good and nobody knew how to, how to go out there and do that. That's when... You know, 2000 was kind of when he kicked it into high gear. I mean, everybody knew how great he was, but once he kicked it into high gear in 2000, everybody started running for the hills onto their to their sports psychologist and trying to figure out how to beat this guy, right? And he really put a lot of guys on, on their ears. I mean, they just had no idea what to do, how to go out there and try and beat him. And so that one, that, that was really tough. And everybody was kind of afraid to approach him. I think that he probably would have been approachable in some aspects in regard to I me. Mean, he still had buddies out there. There's no doubt, but I think that it was not as approachable as it is this day, but listen, his desire to win never changed, even coming back from the injuries. And, you know, every time he tees it up, I mean, he always expects to win. That that's never going to change in his mind, and I know that some folks are like, "Yeah, but realistically, like, well, he doesn't believe in that. He doesn't believe that real there is anything that he's not capable of." So in his mind, he's always got a chance to win. And if he doesn't, then he's a little then he's bummed out about it. But you know, I, I watched him play. Let me think here. I think it would have been 20, 2016. He came over to the Middle East and was playing in Dubai. And I walked nine holes in a pro-am with him. And I felt genuinely sorry for him because he you could tell how much pain he was in, but yet didn't want to give an inch. And so part of that is admirable. Part of that is very admirable. And the other part of it, you know, you just when do you cry uncle? Well, he was taught never to cry uncle. So that was never in his mind. So he's just a different, he's a different man. And I think that uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see him come back from this latest accident and, and give it his absolute best trying to, to play. Uh, certainly, if he tees it up, he's going to expect to win. And I know, like I said, it sounds silly and stupid, but that's what his mindset is always going to be. I think for all of his fans, because I'm a fan of his, I think that watching him compete again at any level, whether it's on the Champions Tour, driving around a golf cart, I don't care. I want to watch the man hit golf balls again because the guy's good mm-hmm. and he's a lot of fun to watch. So good. So, um, you know, little known fact, he won two weeks before. You won in 2002 the PJ Championship. Yeah. Two weeks before you win the International, which was a few few little anecdotes there. Stableford, which is obviously a very different way of, of keeping score. Yes. Steve Lowry, the last five holes was ridiculous, which we can go over. Your look as he was putting for birdie on 18 was priceless. And think about that, right? A guy's putting for birdie. You're ahead. He's putting for birdie. If he makes it, you lose. If he misses, you win. There's no playoff thing because there's a stable for thing. So 
there's a lot to rehash about that event, but but the fact that Lowry gets up and down from the water on 14, holds it from the fairway on 15 for eagle, holds it from the fairway on 17, I think it is, for double eagle, and now all of a sudden your nine-point lead is to one, and there you are. So walk me through it. Oh, yeah, great. Thanks for rehashing that. I mean, I just went through the world of emotions once again. Um, I just gotten done. We, you know, posted 63, but, you know, in points, that was that was uh, 19 points, which I think was the largest Sunday total at the International at that time. I could be wrong, but um, anyways, I mean, uh, it was an incredible final round. I'd made Eagle on 17. And, you know, the thing about Mount, that tournament is that each and every year they post a note in the locker room. Like if you're in the final group and everybody else is done in front of you and you've got a four point lead, well, you can't lose. But they post them and says, you must make the best effort to finish a hole. Now, they're not going to find you. They're not going to. But you can't just pick up your golf ball and just walk in down the 18th hole going, yep, I only have to play 71 holes and I beat these guys. You know, you got to hit a tee shot, even if you hit it dead right out of bounds. And then you snap hook the other one. And, you know, you can do that. You just have to make the best opera, you know, best. But I was sitting there with a nine point lead on the standing on the last tee. I was going, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> and by the time I hit my second shot, I had a point, one point lead. I'm like, I just want to cry. <laughs> you know, I felt like I had the thing won. but he was throwing everything, including the kitchen sink at me. And, uh, and how that, I don't know, 10, 12 footer on the last hole that he hit missed on the, uh, on the top side is beyond me. I mean, uh, it was, I mean, I'm sitting there looking at it like you can't have an easier putt and he just somehow missed it on the top side. And, and I happened to win, you know, my, my family was there. My wife's family was there. I had a lot of friends. In fact, JP Hayes, who was also an El Paso resident, uh, which is where I was at the time, he'd won the week before and at the John Deere. So we had a lot of folks from El Paso up there as well, kind of celebrating his win. And then all of a sudden I went right behind him and, and then mayhem ensued for a few days uh, before we finally settled down and went up to Hazeltine. We took the week off uh, that following week. <laughs> you, you mentioned JP Hayes and that's a, uh, that's an interesting name because I've read about him, obviously a good friend of yours and kind of one of his wins on tour kind of re-motivated you to kind of, get back dedicated to the game. Can you talk us through that a little bit? Well, it was, you know, I was working at El Paso Country Club and, and before that, it was actually Paul Stankowski who won. I'm like, well, I know that guy. I played golf against him. He just went to UTEP. I was in New Mexico State. You know, I mean, he was always a hell of a lot better than I was, but, you know, it just kind of got me, just got me enjoyed about playing again. And so, um, and this was when I was really out of the game. But then when I went to go back to work at El Paso Country Club in 1996, or, or took the job, I should say, in 96, JP won in 98 and I thought this is the coolest thing ever. You know, JP comes walking in and he's a PGA tour winner. I mean, just being on the tour alone for me was awesome. I mean, I only had one dream when I was in college. And even after that, I wanted to play one PGA tour, but that was the Phoenix open. I was born in Phoenix. My grandparents lived there for 50 plus years. I wanted to play in the Phoenix open. And if I could have played that one event, I'd have been a happy kid for the rest of my life. Then I played it in a bunch of times and I sucked at that golf course. So I really <laughs> don't want to go back there again. Um, but in saying that, um, you know, JP wins and I'm like, wow. But then, you know, JP would come back off the road and I realize it now, but when he came back off the road, my motivation was to beat JP. 
And like, I got, I, that's my only motivation is I, you know, come to, you know, he used to play just in the Friday games. There's a Wednesday and a Friday game. They're always pretty good at El Paso. And if I got a chance to play against him on a Friday game, my motivation, my motivation was to beat him. And, and pretty soon, just because I played that golf course all the time, you know, I kind of owned it. I mean, I, I mean, I, I owned everybody at that golf course for a while. I mean, nobody could touch me, which was awesome back in the day, but we just playing against him each and every day made me a better player or at least to having him around thinking about, you know, listen, this is what I got to do to beat this guy. He made me a better player. And I just think it's, uh, sorry, I'm ordering my tea for my caddy. Uh, Very thoughtful. Earl Gray <laughs> or English breakfast. That's the great thing about the, I, I've learned how to drink tea. I was going to say, that's got to be a sky sports <laughs> angle, right? Oh how yeah. I've always liked it. I've never liked coffee. Like I hate coffee. I hate the smell of it. I hate the taste of it. I hate all that. Um, but I, uh, yes, they drink tea all the time. And when we're, you know, when in normal years, we have this 18 wheeler that follows us around. It's our own production trailer. It's our own. Uh, office. It's where we do the commentary from. I mean, this thing is just tricked out beyond belief and there's always a runner in there. And so when you're in their commentary, you know, she'll come and check in. Would you like a tea? Well, heck yeah, I want a tea, you know, <laughs> and they bring you tea all the time. So I, I miss having people not bring me tea. So my caddy's bringing me tea. Oh, there you go. I was going to say, all your, all your beer drinking buddies that are your Aggie friends, they, they got to be concerned about you right now. No, listen, listen, <laughs> if, if, you, if you're concerned about me, listen, there's, there's, I'm going to tell, I'm going to show, we just got into our rental VRBO and the refrigerator is like really empty except for the, Let's see here. The uh, Coors Light, and I don't even know which <laughs> bottle of vodka that is. There's a lot of Blue Mountains in there. Yeah, there so go. don't there don't fret about me. We're going to be just dandy. <laughs> and we go. haven't even gotten to the grocery store yet. So, yes, we'll be just dandy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I, I was just, Rich, you, so you win in 99 at the Kemper, which sort of propels you on, obviously, bigger and better things. And you know, sort of took you to a place that probably you never really thought you would be. And I, and I, I saw an interview you did back in 2016 with Golf Monthly. And in there, you talked about what a great lifestyle being on tour was. And I wanted to, to see if you could follow up with that. Is, is, and how important do you think it is for guys on tour to embrace how lucky they are to have the opportunity to be on tour? And then maybe talk about how different it is for those guys that are out there really grinding versus your marquee players that have in some cases accumulated generational wealth and it's private jet from, from here to there. How does, how does that all sort of manifest itself in the locker room when you have that disparity between the, the players? Well, you know, if you're on the PGA tour, there is no disparity, you know, each and every guy has the same opportunity each and every week. And I don't give, uh, I don't give two worries about guys who aren't playing very, very well versus guys that are now, listen, there's definitely guys with it, with a hell of a lot more talent out there than guys that don't. But in saying that, you know, how many kids this in this day, cause I've got a 17 year old. This is something that I think about kind of every day. How many kids out there are shooting in the mid to low sixties? that play AJGA events and they're just absolutely world beaters 
quote unquote, can't miss the next tiger, which will never happen. Sorry. It won't happen in my generation, maybe another one, but there's too much information out there for anybody to get that much better. It's going to just take a special talent. But anyways, how many of these kids actually make it onto the tour? I'd say very, very, very few. But I keep telling my son each and every day, who is 17, wants to be on, wants just, just wants to play college golf, right? I tell him, Michael, I broke, I broke par, I broke 70 for the first time in my life when I was a sophomore in college. Wow. Okay. This is a game that you don't know when your best is going to come. Your best might come for at the age of 15. Your best might come at the age of 35. There's, it, it happens differently for everybody. So going back to your original question, some of those guys that are that good right now, Dustin Johnson was always really good, but he didn't start peaking until he got on tour over the last few years. Brooks Kepka was always really good. And then all got better by going to the challenge tour, European tour, and then finally broke through. Justin Thomas didn't make it on tour first full. David Duvall didn't make it on the first. So listen, these other guys that are in the locker room, they may not have peaked yet. They might still be getting better. Joel Damon is a guy that looks to me like this guy can be around for a very long time and he could compete for majors. He's that good. He's that solid. He's got a great attitude. Just got his first win. But there's a lot of guys in there that are starting to get better. And there's also guys in that locker room that are on their way out. Mm-hmm. that you just know that they're going to start, you know, tapering off. But listen, if you're on tour, I got no, listen, show up and play hard and you're not going to get any sympathy from the guys, you know, listen, you guys want to help you. And I know what they're going through when they don't play well, but I'm sorry. It's a very cutthroat business. And I've seen it from both sides. I've seen it as a player and I've seen it now as an analyst on TV and I'd never call out a player for bad shots or, or, you know, playing bad things like that, that happens on a daily basis. But listen, man, you better show up each and every day and you better enjoy it too, because you never know when things are going to go wrong and you're going to find yourself on the outside looking because There's not a whole lot of guys that leave the PGA tour, go back down to the corner ferry tour and have enough guts to get back in there. If they do, a lot of them are called journeymen, but in this day and age, it, it's even harder because those young guys in the corn parade tour, they're coming up, they're coming up and they're not going to budge. I mean, it's, this game's getting to be pretty cutthroat. It's awesome. I mean, the, the corn fairy tour is really good. I don't like people. Oh, yeah. Those players are in the corn fairy tour. Well, think about this. Will Zalatoris doesn't have his tour card. Right, 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 right. <laughs> He's, I don't know, what, what is top 30 in the world? Doesn't have his tour card. He's still a member. He's a full-fledged member of the Corn Ferry Tour, not even on the PGA Tour. Wrap your head around that one. Finish runner-up at the Masters. So, I mean, you know, the kid's something special. He looks at the game a little bit differently. But listen, I mean, it, it takes something special to be on the PGA Tour these days. And these guys are flat out just awesome good. And uh, they'll continue to get better. So let's fast forward to next week. Um, yeah. The, the PGA Championship, which is now in May, which is, I think, probably a great decision for the for the event. But 
But before we get to the actual tournament, let's talk about the golf course. Key Island is certainly well known through Ryder Cup and Rory's win. What in fourteen? Maybe it was. I forget. Twelve. Yeah. Twelve. Yeah. Yep. Appreciate that. But I think you played there. Tell me about Key Island Golf Course. You know, it's, um, the thing I remember about it most, certainly difficulty, but I, and people are going to laugh at me, which is fun. I'm a very laughable, that kind of good dude. <laughs> um, I think it's still the best conditioned golf course I've ever played. I thought that the way they, they set it up, the way they maintained it, and people are like, oh, get out of here. Gus National is way better. Listen, Gus National is beautiful, and there's no denying that, and it's an awesome shape. But I think every facet of how Kiowa Island was in 2012, I mean, it was just sublime. It was just so good. And I would imagine it's probably gotten better since then. But it's an amazing golf course. It looks like I think I read last night they lengthened it, so it's like 7,800 yards. Yeah. Which is really not, it's, that's not a big deal for me. I mean, I've got so many hybrids now. It's not a problem. <laughs> I mean, I didn't realize they made a nine hybrid, but apparently they do. So there's a lot of irons that are out now. And I, the hybrid game is, is undeniably fantastic, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a big golf course, but it's manageable. Right. I mean, you can you can play it underneath the wind and kind of skate it around that golf course, even though the fairways are past Palm and they still run out a fair amount. So, you know, I think that anybody that tries to hit it, you know, over the wind, as I like to say, they don't that doesn't slide it down. I think they'll still they'll still uh, struggle there. But, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a hell of a test. I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of condition it's in and, and how it's going to play. I know it's hot and windy. Uh, back in 2012, and it won't be nearly as hot. Played in August then, right? Yeah, yeah. Play different. Yeah, I mean, it was scorching hot out there. I mean, it was just you didn't see a whole lot of guys out there in the driving range after the round because they were wind (laughs) burnt and burnt in general. I mean, it was it was pretty gnarly. Yeah, they said it's about playing about 200 yards longer. So 78, 76 was the yardage, which uh, you know. Here's the thing about that. I mean, that that's the very back of the tees. That's the tips, you know. And, and the great thing uh, about the PGA is that the way they set it up each and every year, they don't they don't make it absurd. It's you know they 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 have you know I think the best setup in all the game because it's it's fair, it's challenging. You know, with the U.S. Open, they seem to, you know, try and still figure out how to set up a very difficult golf course, you know, which is (laughs) thankfully they got Jason Gore out there doing it now. But Kerry Haig, who sets up the um, who does all the preparation for the PGA Championship and all their championships, I think is the best in the game. And I think a lot of the players will say the same thing that the way he sets up golf courses uh, each and every year, it's, it's fair and it's uh, it matches the style of the golf course and, and, and kind of what to expect. So, you know, Kerry Haig is going to do another unbelievable job this year. It'd be interesting to see how, how long he plays it, but it won't play the 7,800 yards. He'll play it. He'll play it, you know, shorter than that. He'll, he'll probably play it, you know, even if it's, high 76s, you know, it's still not going to be 78, but it's not going to walk over either. It's going to be, it's going to be like, Oh, great. Another 490 yard par four. Fantastic news. <laughs> so talk about Rory's win a little bit from 12. Obviously he lapped the field by eight strokes, which was extremely impressive. I mean, tell us about that. What, what you remember? Well, I just, you, you know, you drive the golf ball as good as he does. I mean, it's going to make, 
most golf courses fairly easy, but I mean, he, he really dropped the hammer that week. And then, you know, to, to have the putter cooperate, it's, it was probably a pretty simple, pretty simple win for him. It was just get up there, you know, take the head cover off and, and, and bomb it down there and then, and then find the green someplace. And, 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 you know, the putts are going in. I mean, you can't beat that guy. I mean, there's a few players in the game that if, if they're driving it well and putting it well, you're, you're not going to have a chance. Dustin Johnson's one of them, Brooks Kepka, Justin Thomas, Roy McElroy. I mean, it's, there's just a few guys, you know, probably a handful of guys out there that if they're driving it that good and they're putting it well, you're not going to beat them just because, you know, their iron game is always going to be better than average. And, and, you know, their short games are competent enough, but I mean, if they drive it well and put it well, forget about it. I mean, you're just gonna, it'll be a no brainer. I mean, you know, Beth page black would be probably an example of watching, watching um, Brooks Kepka get out there and just demoralize the golf course, you know, because he drove it so well for so long struggles coming in, but I mean, he drove it so well for so long that, you know, he doesn't have that long a second shot. So then the putter is cooperating. I mean, forget about it. It's just, it's, it's an easy game when you do that, but Rory is, uh, that win last week is going to be uh, pretty significant. I think for his mindset going into it. And I think he's pretty excited about to get in the queue as quick as he can. Yeah. I'm the, uh, so I'm the resident Rory stand here on the, on the podcast. Rich. Matt's and, very and so, happy about Rory's win last week. I, I wasn't oh, real yeah. happy watching 18. That was a bit of a fiasco, but. You know, I, it's, Listen, it doesn't matter. He won. You don't have to worry about you. You're nervous for him. I promise you. The only person I was nervous <laughs> on there was was the caddy and the wife. Rory's like, I got it. this. Is all <laughs> trust me. I was. I was getting texts from these two clowns, and I was standing there uh, in in silence in front of the TV watching on 18. But I, I was was very happy for him. But it's interesting to me that you know, I've heard some people talk about, well, this was driving range golf. It's a golf course where he's won now three times, show up in a major and contend, and then maybe people will feel like Rory is back. Do we collectively kind of hold Rory to a higher standard? And, and should we, based on the, the talent that he has? Um, we hold him to a higher standard, there's no doubt, to a point. But if anybody thinks that the Quail Hollow is is anything but obscenely difficult they're they're insane that golf course you you can't for one second go to sleep it's the golf course will just absolutely ruin you so it's i mean obviously they've had a major there uh, justin thomas won there a few years back pga so quail hollow is is i mean it's a major championship venue so for him to win that tournament that has to feel like a, a major and or WGC and it's that good. Right. So, yeah, I, I think that we all want to see him win his fifth major. I think that, you know, four is not nearly enough for us and it's not enough for him too. And I, I know he's been, he's been criticized and I think that working for sky sports, we, we criticize and defend him in the same breath. I mean, you know, I, I think we look at it, look at him as a player that should have won a lot more majors, but, you know, he puts himself out there so often. And the fact that he's brutally honest with what he says, how he says it, um, his engagements with the media, things like that. And listen, how can you not like the guy? I mean, he, 
he's exactly what I think everybody should aspire to be as a golfer, a hell of a player, obviously, but somebody who, who's going to be honest because there's not a lot of players out there that are going to give you the honest answer, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I he's appreciate best, that. About he's the best interview in golf. I mean, he's the best interview in golf. And so, I mean, to criticize him for, for how he plays sometimes, I think, you know, I don't think it's, it's duly unfair, but I also think that when he, when a player is, is going to walk up to the microphone and take on any questions that you have about, you know, his play, I think you got to cut him some slack every now and again, because the guy's going to show up for you. You know, there's some guys that be like, no, I don't want to talk today. I don't want to do this. I don't do that. You know, I don't, I don't want to talk to you after I, after I played poorly, I only want to talk to you when I play good. And there's a lot of players like that. A lot of players on the PGA tour that will not talk to you after a bad round. And if we ask Rory to, and there's some times where we won't ask Rory after any round because he gives so much time to the media. That's the one thing that I, I, I look at the game so much differently and look at players and what they do is that, that what fans don't understand is that why didn't we hear from Rory? Because we heard from him on Monday. We heard from him on Tuesday. We heard from him on Thursday. We don't need to talk to him on Friday. He shot one under par. It was a nice round of golf. He's, you know, 20th place. We don't need to hear from him. Mm-hmm. We don't need to hear from Rory all the time. We need to hear from him in certain times, but not all the time. And so it's just, he's, he's so good at what he does and how he balances, I think his life that I think that he'll win majors again. And I really hope that he wins the masters one day. I hope he completes that career grand slam. And that's a golf course that uh, should be right up his alleys. But I think there's something about it mentally that um, he'll, it'll take a, a huge task to get past, but yeah, I mean, the, the guy's a, the guy's a hell of a player. He should be, you know, in my mind's eye, I think that he should be the favorite going into into next week, just because of his performance at Quail Hollow, that kind of tells me, okay, there w- there was plenty of opportunities for him to not win, um, and we've seen him not win in those circumstances in the years gone by. But he got the win at Quail Hollow, very difficult golf course, and I would imagine that he's got to feel pretty good about his chances. If I were a betting man, I'd, I'd certainly be looking at putting some money on him. Oh, After Maddie, me, of course, Maddie, you know. Maddie, he's made your day, Maddie. He's well, that was the, that was the first thing I told the boys was I was looking up on DraftKings what his odds were and I was unloading on him. So <laughs> he went from twenty to one to ten to one real quick. So did he really? Yeah, yeah. I would imagine. I, yeah, it's amazing how that happens. I mean, I'm sure. You, yeah, after three missed cuts in a row, you could you you probably should have loaded up then, but you didn't, did you? No. You waited until no. after the win, didn't you? <laughs> you didn't. You didn't have the faith. You didn't place the bet before the win. You did it after the win. That's not, that's a, no. that's a fine. It's a poor, fan. it's a poor gambler. Yeah. That's hey, a Rich, poor the, gambler. The, the, the other thing with Schmitty is that you mentioned, um, if you never want to talk to the media, just have bad rounds. So actually Matt's taken up that approach. Uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> See, I always bet on Tommy Fleetwood each and every week, every week. Who's my favorite? Tommy Fleetwood. Every week. You're not doing well this year. Uh, listen. It's going to be just dandy. Tommy is going to <laughs> Tommy is going to ring the bell sooner or later. You trust me, baby. There are a lot of great storylines for next week too. You obviously mentioned Rory. Uh, hard not to think Jordan Spieth's a great storyline based on his yeah. start to the year. In fact, he's also going for the career Grand Slam. Yeah, Murakawa's kind of defending. 
Bryson obviously uh, is playing well and won the, uh, the U.S. Open. I mean, other than Rory, what, what's your thought for next week? You know, I mean, I, I, you know, it's funny. I, playing there in 2012, I mean, you, you got to think that Bryson has got to, you know, the way, the, the length that he hits it. Um, but, you know, to me, Kiowa is a little bit more, it's, um, you know, it, it's a little bit like, it's a little bit like um, Pinehurst and the fact that, you know, there's a lot of runoff areas around the greens. There's not a lot of rough to stop the golf ball where the U S open where Bryson won, you know, it stops the golf ball. His short game that week was unbelievable, but you got to have a lot of imagination. I think Justin Thomas is probably number one in that category around the greens. I think Patrick Reed um, would have to be up there because his short game is unbelievable. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's a combination of who's going to drive the golf ball, who's got the length out there, but also who's got a really good short game. You know, I, I, you know, Justin Thomas would, would have to be right up there. I mean, he's just so good, so creative with his shots around the green. Um, I would like to think that he's going to be uh, a fan favorite. It'd be interesting to see how Brooks does. Brooks is playing again and uh, see how the knee's doing. He's always one of those guys when he shows up to majors, you know, he's just like, all right, where, where's his name? You know, it's coming, you know, it hasn't been great lately, but he's, you know, he's been, it, it seems to be, you know, you can't ever, you know, discount him, but uh, yeah, I, I would think that Justin Thomas has got to be uh, up there as well, but you, you got to have a really good short game around that golf course. So Rich, going back to the, the commentary that you, you do for Sky Sports, is there, is there a difference between how you try to relate to golf fans over in the UK versus golf fans over here? What differences do you see between the, the, the fans and how we kind of approach the game? Well, the first thing is that when we do the broadcasting from the United States and we broadcast over the UK, by the time we come on air, it's usually just around about seven o'clock in the evening. So the folks back home are really starting to, you know, they're at the, the pub already. <laughs> and by when we go off air around midnight, boy, they're in full flow if they're still watching us. Um, so no, I, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, with the fans over there versus over here, you know, here's a, one of my favorite stories is that my first, year I worked for Sky in 2015. I worked with a guy named Wayne Riley. Everybody calls him Radar. Very, very insane uh, Australian. And he, he says, I'm not even try his accent. He goes, when we go to Scotland and Ireland, you're going to be treated like a rock star. They're going to just flip out that you're over there broadcasting. I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever, whatever. And I'll be damned. We didn't get over there that year. And I'm just going out to dinner and people are taking selfies, you know, this and that. And I'm going, guys, I'm not even playing anymore, dude. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the sideshow of this whole circus, right? The fans are just mad about the game. They don't, they have their heroes in the game are always going to be their heroes. They don't, they're not, it's, you know, they're loyal. Like if you look at the premier league soccer, if they're Liverpool fans and then Liverpool has a couple of off seasons, well, they're not going to dump Liverpool and go root for Everton or Man United or anything like that. They're going to stay with their team through thick and thin. Now they, it's not always going to be pretty, but you know, they're going to stick with them. They, 
did the same thing with golf. They, they're huge fans. They don't, there's not on a whim. It's not, what did you do for me lately? It's like, they remember everything about, about what happened in all their sports, you know, and golf included. It's, it's a, it's so different. And, and when I broadcast, I, I like to do it as, I mean, think of it this way. I'm the guy with the accent. Right. I'm the foreigner. <laughs> so I must sound brilliant to them or they suffer fools greatly. <laughs> One of the two. But I just, you know, I, they love the humor. You know, we have a good rapport. We all have the same kind of good banter. I fit right in humor wise with them. And I just think that across the board, you know, we don't try and fill the dead air all the time. Like there's a lot of times we'll sit there and we'll, we'll watch a golf shot. And if the golf shot doesn't turn out well, or this, and that, I mean, you don't have to say anything. The, the picture speaks for itself. If you don't have anything truly amazing to add to it, why say anything? You don't have to. People can see, people can know that's a terrible place to be in. People know that, you know, you don't want to hit it over there. I mean, I, you don't have to add to things all the time uh, unless you, unless there's something significant that, you know, you think. And if you listen to some of the American broadcasts and there's, it's not a, a crack against them at all because they do a wonderful job, but they, they're told they want to, you know, add to the pictures, add to this. We're told, listen, pictures can speak for themselves a lot of times. So just two different philosophies. Yeah, I wanted to uh, circle back on um, that Alan Shipnick book. Uh, Bud, what is it? Bud Sweat and Tease, A Walk on the Wild Side of the PGA Tour. Obviously, that yes. was a Why are you your eyes, Rich? Because yeah. <laughs> you guys got paid the same amount of money for that book as I did. So, <laughs> so rehashing something that I didn't get paid for is just awesome. Well, there <laughs> and I can't think of anything better that I'd love to talk about than that book, but I'd be happy to answer any questions you have very briefly. Well, there you go. So obviously that's, that's some insight that I was unaware of. So that uh, brings us up to speed. And, 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 well, nobody knows that. Nobody knows that. And, and so I, I, I've gotten past it a little bit, but you know, and, and that book's always going to be out there and whatnot. And he did spend some time with me and, and my family and friends and things like that. You know, I kind of let him in there and I kind of expected something in return, even though Absolutely. I was, and listen, I was naive. I was a young guy who was shocked that anybody would want to write something about me and my former daddy. And so, but I didn't know, I didn't know really what I was doing. Uh, I didn't sign anything. Totally my fault. I totally understand it. But I also think that there was an element of, of the fact that he took advantage of a situation that he knew he could have. And, you know, shame on me. I get it. I'm not, the book, I've never read it. I read, I read my part, which is, you know, they call it the galleys. I read them and I hated the parts that every time there was a, a swear word that came out, it doesn't read like it should. If you and I are sitting here having a conversation and we, you know, I dropped a few F-bombs. Well, it's in context, you know, it's, it's the way you say it, it's how you say it. But when it's on printed paper, you have to make up what it's saying. I could say the same thing. I could say one thing, but when it's written down, it comes out completely different at times. 
right? Because you have no idea what the context was that I was saying it. So that's the only thing that I didn't like about it. I'm like, well, nobody can tell whether I was joking or whether I was being, you know, being serious. That's what I didn't like about it. But beyond that, I mean, I'll sign the book for folks. It's fine. I don't, I really don't care. I don't talk to Alan. I don't keep in touch with him. I don't do anything like that. But yeah, it's the book was, the book is out there. It's not like I can put it back in the bottle. It's fine. But what question would you like to ask? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, honestly, Alan's off. Alan's off my friend list. But uh, hey, so your caddy, Steve, Steve Duplantis, you obviously had a great relationship with him. And yeah. He, had a, he seemed to be, I read some quotes about him that he made every player that he caddied for significantly better. Yeah. So obviously he had a real rapport with his players. Inside the ropes, he was an amazing caddy. He He could get the most out of you. He knew how to... He knew how to engage with you. He knew how to to kind of get you to go in the direction to stay to keep your focus. And you're talking about this is coming from the guy that had absolutely once he was off the golf course. I mean, he was like he was like a kid at Willy Wonka's factory, man. I mean, this he was out there. But you, you know, he was able to get once the inside the ropes was there, he was able to keep his focus and keep the focus of the player where it needed to be. And he was remarkable, remarkable about that. It's just, you know, he temporarily would lose his mind off the golf course. And that's why folks didn't, you know, you, you, you couldn't rely on him that much. And it was, and it was sad. I mean, it was sad. I mean, it was, uh, it was wild, but here's one of my, my favorite stories that ever came from Steve. And I don't even know if it's the book or not, but it, um, we'd won the Kemper open and, and then that week we actually stuck around up in uh, up in Maryland and got LASIK surgery from Dr. Witten. And uh, I think we left town like on Wednesday or Thursday after, after LASIK, both went back home and we met up at, in Memphis uh, the following week on Tuesday morning. And he, we both got in there Monday night, but I didn't see him. And, and on Tuesday morning, we met at the golf course and he goes, all right, pro. That was fantastic what we did at Kemper Open a couple of weeks back. You know, let's build on that. You're a hell of a player. Let's uh, let's get after this. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. And he goes, I believe in you. I said, man, I appreciate that. He said, he said I believe in you so much. I, I bought myself a present. <laughs> okay. He whips out this freaking Rolex gold presidential watch. I, get, I cut him a check for $45,000. That's 10% of the win, right? He goes out and spends at least half of it, at least half of it on this gold presidential Rolex. I'm wearing a Swiss Army watch, and he's got this gold residential that's worth, I don't know, 25, 30 grand or something like that. I'm going, it's called taxes. You have to pay taxes, Steve. You know that, right? Oh, we're going to make more money. I'm just going, oh, my good Lord. Just what you Uh, mean. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I mean... It was I, thankfully he had it because he needed he needed that cash later on, so he was able to take that money and sell it and get and recoup some of the cash that he had. But, but I mean, Rich, it isn't, kind of, isn't it ironic that the guy who was always late goes out and buys a watch with his first big check? Oh yeah, it's, I mean seriously. It, it, I, listen, I didn't say that it was actually on time. I just said he bought a watch, and as we all know, as we all know, those watches are more jewelry than they are functional. Right. Right. That's awesome. 
So what about the Super League? I'd love to hear your opinion on on the That's an interesting one, you know. I'm I'm not surprised by the backlash um from the PGA Tour and or the European Tour on it. Um because I think that it's very threatening to them. Um I think there's a lot of players that would love to do that, obviously because of the money, but also I think because of the demands of the time. I think there's there's certain guys that just don't want to I don't want to say they can or don't want to be bothered, but it's just kind of, you know, they've already got the money. They'd rather just play golf where it's a little bit easier for them. And listen, I, tell me one person in the world that wouldn't like to have an unbelievable job that pays you more money than you're going to pay, but you have to work less hours. Every single player would do that. And, and is it a money grab? Oh, without a doubt but I kind of liked the way that they were going to do it. I, I wasn't too sure about the shotgun start and things like that, but to get the best 50 players each and every week around the world, teeing it up in different venues, you know, going from South Africa to the Middle East, to Asia, to Australia, you know, that intrigued me because I'm going to, if I have one complaint about a lot of the players from America, they don't travel. They're afraid to travel. They don't want to get out. They don't like going to the Middle East. They don't like going to South Africa. They don't want to go play in Asia that much. You know, it, it you have to entice them with a big check. And granted, you know, top 50 in the world, you should be enticed with a big check because that's just the way the game is going. But how many players do you see that don't want to go to HSBC in China and play? How many players do you see that don't want to, 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 if you had a world golf championship event down in South Africa at the end of the year, I guarantee you, you wouldn't, 20 Americans wouldn't go. I'd say you're probably going to get a bunch of guys that just, I don't want to go that far. I'm fine. I don't need the money. I'm good. It's not about the money. It's about the, for the love of the game. It's, it's, you know, I mean, you know, I, I get part of it. I, I've been on that side of it as a player before where I don't want to do it because, because the, the, the ease and convenience factor is just not there. And if I could talk to that guy today, I'd slap him around and be like, what in the world are you doing? Get off your lazy dead ass and go play. Go over there and support the game. Go over there, meet new people. Go over there and just and and figure out, you know, how to play in different situations when you might be a little bit jet lagged. You may not be feeling your great. Listen, go play. And yet we just you can't get guys to do that. I mean, I'm sorry, but there's something that's very fun about, you know. After you're done playing, going over to Roos Chris Steakhouse and having a nice steak and a bottle of wine and then going back to your 800 thread count pillows, you know, uh, wherever you're staying at. Or, you know, in a lot of places, a lot of guys, you know, that have their own houses that they rent with their chef and this and that. I mean, they don't have to fend for themselves anymore. Yeah. You know, I just think that that making players around that to travel around the world to these different venues 18 different times. Now I'm all about that. I thought that would be great. So the premier league, I don't think it's going to make it right now, but I guarantee you in some form or fashion, if something like this will happen in the next 10 years, I just think that I think you're going to get too many guys are on top of it. I think that, you know, the, the PGA tour is going to have to rethink how they stage their products. 
I truly think. I think the PGA Tour is going to have to create their own quote-unquote Super League um, if they want to keep these guys from happening. I think the PGA Tour needs to be blessed players as well instead of the 156 each and every week. And I would never have said this as a player, but now looking at the product now, I think you need to have the top 100 team it up every week. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I, that was going to be one of my thoughts was, is this actually going to force the tour to change the ball yes, operations model? Because it, it, it sure seems they like, are. yeah, and it sure seems like more of these guys, although they're not publicly really talking about it, but they, it, the, the people who are trying to put this together, they've got the ear of the top players. It seems like they're engaged with it. Well, so here's the thing too. I mean, I, you know, looking back at this $40 million bonus that came up, I don't to be fair, I don't know the, the ins and the outs. I've, I've read what it seems, you know, how it reads, but I want somebody to explain it to me that I want somebody to explain it to me, like, what are you guys really looking at? Because if you're looking at the raw numbers and whatnot, there's only one person that's going to be on the top of anybody's list. It's going to be Tiger Woods. Even though he's not playing, he's still going to be number one on everybody's list. Mm-hmm. If he even shows up to a tournament, if he walks around, people are going to lose their minds, right? You know, so what kind of, what are we doing here? I mean, is it, is it Ricky Fowler? Because he's, he's generally one of the most approachable guys on tour, um, not playing very well right now, which is unfortunate, but that's real. That's, you know, how it is, you know, Brooks Kepka, he's on social media a little bit, but he's not out there. He's not warm and fuzzy, you know, so, <laughs> you know, popularity contest, he may not win all this money, but I mean, know, Phil's is, 50 and yet, and yet he's still insignificant. Very relevant, very relevant on it, all of it. So, so you look at it and you're going to give it to the top 10 guys, but wait a second here. I mean, what are we looking at? Is it, is it social media posts? Is it, is it Google searches? You know, what is going to, what's going to come about it of it all? It's, it's quite interesting, you know, and, and for some players to say, well, they're the, they're, the guys that push the game as it is, they're already the needle movers. Well, they're already being compensated for it quite handsomely, unless they've got a real idiot for an agent. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's not that hard to sell Ricky Fowler, even when he's not playing well, because he's such a good guy. I mean, it's not that hard to sell Phil Mickelson. It's not that hard to sell anybody, you know, that's been, that's accomplished, you know, certain things in the game. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where it goes, but I think I, I truly think that the PJ Tour will take over the European Tour in some form or fashion full time, um, and kind of mold that in the Corn Ferry Tour probably into one. I'm hoping because you know I think that I think that we need to figure out how to get you know the game more globally grown because it's you know with with how we watch sports streaming, you can watch it from anywhere at any time. Um, on pretty much, you know, iPhone, iPad, whatever it is that you use. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple to watch that. And, you know, you got to get the players to go and, you know, sponsors will pay if they get the right people to show up. So there's gotta be, there's gotta be a way that the the PGA tour, you know, can quote unquote force guys to go play, but they won't do that because they say that's not, you know, we're independent contractors. Well, that's got to change some, some form of fashion. That's what I kind of liked about the Super League. You're not a contractor anymore. You're an employee. Show right. up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, it'll, it'll certainly be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, Rich, before we let you go, one of the segments we have here on the podcast is something we call the quick nine. Scotty's going to ask you nine real simple questions, no right or wrong answers. First thing that comes to mind, 
just to give us and our listeners a little background on your golf personality, some of your, your likes and dislikes, but, but no pressure here. It's just kind of rapid fire and, and, and we'll let Scotty roast it. Let's do it. Okay. Walk or ride. Who walk, but I have a beer caddy. (laughs) (laughs) Mulligan on the first tee. I like to say it as a, an oops, or I didn't mean to do that. Let's do it again. (laughs) Stroke play or match play? I suck at match play, so stroke play. (laughs) (laughs) Jack or Tiger? Oh, I, I, a Jack. Tiger made me a lot of money. Thanks, buddy. But yeah. <laughs> Favorite course you have played and the course you most want to play that you haven't. Ooh, favorite course I've played. I got a ton of them for different reasons, but you know, Riv is I love Riv. Yeah. I mean, Riv is just awesome. Uh course that I haven't played. I haven't played in oh tobacco road. Really? Yeah. You I've heard nothing but great things about Tobacco Road. Huh. Yeah. I want to go play there. One of my good friends, Jim Ng, uh, he's a designer, course designer. He's awesome. Uh, he says that Tobacco Road would be right up my alley. <laughs> your favorite foursome and your fantasy foursome? Boy, I had two fantasy foursomes, but I'll give you my my, uh, my favorite one. Well, I'd say what I played with a good one the other day. I played with uh, Darren Clark, Paul McGinley, and Thomas Bjorn. And the stuff that was that that would be certainly one four ball you cannot put a microphone on. There's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things that were said there that uh, yeah, it was uh it was damn sure a lot of fun. So lately that was an absolute blast. Um, you know, my dream force, I I I I've shifted it around to this one. Um, I'd love to play with my dad, my granddad, and Ben Hogan. And because Ben Hogan was my dad and granddad's hero, they both love watching him play. But the reason I want them to play is that they all three smoked. And I want Ben Hogan to know that he may be the best golfer in the group, but he's not the best smoker. My dad and granddad <laughs> flat out outsmoked that dude, man. They were really cool when they smoked that cigarette, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe there's a correlation to Tobacco Road then, too. I don't know. It could be. There there's definitely could be there. <laughs> you know, I, wanted, I wanted Hogan to know that he might be a really good golfer and look really cool, you know, smoking a cigarette like that. But I'm telling you what, man, my dad and granddad, they can beat him in that. that yeah. That's so good. The golf day or golf event that you look forward to most every year? PGA Championship. How can it not be, right? How can it not be? I, and this is the time of year, too, that I, I I let the best of my emotions get me because when folks on Twitter and Instagram start bashing the, the PGA Championship and why it's the least favorite major and this or that, I just I bite every single time. I lose my mind, and I know I shouldn't, <laughs> but I do anyways. And I, it's just, it to me, it's, to me, it's got more, it's, there's a lot more to it than I know the masters has Augusta national. I know the U S open is always the hardest thing. And, 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 but to me, I think that if you ask the players, what is the easiest one to get around? What's the, what's the one major that it's easiest to, that you feel most comfortable at? I promise you PGA would be, I think PGA would be number one in their, in their minds because the, 
because of how easy we make it for the players and a lot of things that we do. It's, it's, it, it's just comfortable, but anyways, that's another. Do you story. think, do you think the switch to may really has helped the event? I, at first I wasn't for it, but now, yes, I think in the next 10 years, I think we're going to see the the shift of what folks look at and how they think and feel about the PGA, I think is going to shift hopefully fairly significantly. I really do. Okay. And the last question, the one I've really looked forward to most for Rich Pierce, what is your go-to post-round beverage? Because there are a lot of options out there. There's, there's different, well, there's different options. There's different mindsets. You know, you got the summertime heat sometimes, you know, and then you've got the cold weather. If you're in Ireland and Scotland, you've got the, um, what do you drink of a pebble beach when you get done? Um, <laughs> you know, honestly, you just can't go wrong in most cases with just a nice, cold beer you know just a, and not not of the can or the bottle it's got to be a tap beer now it could be a, it could be a light beer in the summertime or a dark beer in the wintertime but a beer out of the tap that's got to be i love it See, i knew i loved you and i hate alan shipnick too get rid of him <laughs> you know what you and i got a lot of love now Tyler. A lot of love, baby. <laughs> we're on it baby we're on it uh, rich i can't thank you enough for taking some time and set aside and joining us we had a blast and and it's Same. great to catch up again and really appreciate it 